Hey there, and welcome to Inside Intercom. Whether it be product, design, marketing, or engineering, one of our favorite deep dives to take with guests is into their team's values. We're not talking about inspirational phrases that look good on an office poster. Values allow us to act with autonomy. They should codify our culture as we grow and influence positive actions and decisions. And in a lot of ways, values should be controversial because they illustrate why your team made one decision that another would not. This week, we're looking at the origin and importance of one of our most core engineering values here at Intercom. That's to run less software, a philosophy that means reducing choices amongst engineering teams and standardizing technology so we can spend as much time as possible delivering value to customers. Here to break this concept down is Rich Archbold. Rich is the Senior Director of Engineering for our Foundations team, and he came to us several years ago by way of Facebook and Amazon. Run Less Software is a concept Rich was key in helping us codify. That process shaped a popular talk he's given, and ultimately a long-form post he published on the Inside Intercom blog. That post, I think it's fair to say, jump-started a healthy dose of conversation, most notably in the hacker news community. Joining Rich in the studio for this episode is our senior editor, Jeffrey Keating. And in his chat with Rich, you'll get a flavor for why Run Less Software is so important to us here at Intercom. If we're actually trying to win our market and be the absolute best customer communications company there is, we need to make sure that we are making exquisitely good use of our precious engineering resources. How it differs from the approaches of other engineering teams? Stripe, Slack, Datadog, and Fastly are some of the companies that I've been lucky enough to be able to have conversations with engineering leaders in. And I've so far I've found nobody has a strategy like Run Less Software. And how this philosophy can be applied in practice. Start off by really understanding the problem you are trying to solve for your customers. Figure out which are the building blocks that can be provided by our existing standard technologies and which are the parts which can't. If you enjoy this episode and are looking for more insights like these, check out our full archive of more than 100 Inside Intercom conversations. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever your preferred app may be. But now, let's hop in the studio and talk about what it means to run less software with Jeffrey Keating and Rich Archbold. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Rich, thanks for joining us today on Inside Intercom. Since it's your debut on the show, can you give us a feel for your career to date and your current role here at Intercom? Hey, Jeffrey, thank you very much for having me here today. So today I am the Senior Director for Foundations Engineering at Intercom. Our mission is to help Intercom evolve, scale and be trusted by every internet business in the world. We take care of most of Intercom's backend technologies. So all of our cloud strategy, cloud operations, backend engineering, IT and security. I've been here almost four years now. Prior to Intercom, I spent about 10 years working for big tech companies. I spent a year and a half at Facebook in Dublin doing site reliability at Facebook. And then for about eight years before that, I spent at Amazon and I started at Amazon doing systems engineering work. So IC work. And over time, I think I had eight different jobs there and progressed from like engineer to technical project manager to technical program manager to manager to manager of managers. I started off at Amazon kind of before they had AWS. So I was lucky enough to see kind of AWS born out of the guts of all of the great operations work of the Amazon.com retail website. 
Before that, I'd started off in college doing electronic engineering and realized I really didn't like it. The only course I really liked was the computer science part. Along the way, I got a part-time job in Ireland's first internet service provider called Ireland Online. And there I discovered I liked the internet. So I guess you can kind of see how I flowed from computers plus internet to Amazon, Facebook, and now kind of intercom. Great. And today we would like to talk to you about a philosophy that you're extremely passionate about called Run Less Software. Now, this was a team value that's burned a talk, that's led to a blog post, and ultimately this conversation we'll be having today. So in short, what does it mean to run less software and what are the benefits of this approach? Run less software. It's probably my favorite, biggest, most all-encompassing intercom engineering and rich personal life philosophy technology strategy. And I guess in the world we work in today, in the business we're in, we think there are some harsh realities of the world. And some of those harsh realities include that time is short, opportunities are fleeting, competition is fierce, and engineering resources are scarce. And if we're actually trying to win our market and be the absolute best customer communications company there is, we need to make sure that we are making exquisitely good use of our precious engineering resources. And that means that we spend as little time as possible on undifferentiated heavy lifting, a phrase that Jeff Bezos coined, I think, many, many moons ago when he actually first talked about the founding of AWS. So we need to spend as little time as possible on undifferentiated heavy lifting problems that are already solved. And we need to spend as much time as possible creating enduring competitive advantage. We need to make sure that the majority of our engineering time or the vast majority of our engineering time is building things that provide unique value and great user experience for our customers, helping them solve the problems that they face. And to do that, a lot of this is about choosing standards or maybe even boring technologies. So could you describe what are our standard technologies and and why? Yeah. So we have a variety of different standard technologies, and you can think of them from the very base infrastructural standard technologies, which in our case is betting exclusively on AWS as a cloud vendor to when you come up the stack a little bit, even inside of AWS being super opinionated that we will use a specific set of EC2 instances, we will use only a specific set of AWS data stores. Coming up the stack a little bit more, there are a set of programming languages which we strongly recommend people use. So we have Ruby and Ruby on Wales, Ember for our web app and primarily React for our messenger. And we have chosen these particular standards technologies or boring technologies because over time, these are the technologies which are the safest and fastest for us to use. I was talking to a colleague in the industry and I was describing this recently and the way he and I kind of paraphrased it at the time is by choosing these standard technologies or boring technologies, the ones that are really, really well battle-tested, well-trained, well-understood, and well-supported, it allows us to make very fast engineering decisions and it allows us to front-load the cost and risk associated, to quantify and front-load the cost and risk associated with those engineering decisions. There was a fantastic engineer called 
Dan McKinley, who worked at Etsy. And he was the one who first publicized the idea of choosing boring technologies. And the way he described it is the way to make really powerful, really great engineering decisions are the ones that the way to think about it is enabling you to make fast decisions that create really strong velocity benefits that have really low operational risk or cost over time. And so this is exactly how we think about this choosing standard technologies, choosing boring technologies by limiting the amount of choices we make to ones that are well supported and well understood within the company. We can make fast decisions that are cheap and easy to maintain over time. Great. And and this idea, or at least um, a lot of the documentation of, of this idea came out of a very small offsite, maybe three or four years ago. So put us in that room and how did this whole concept come about? That's a fantastic question and probably my favorite one to answer because I think it brings in so many elements of not just intercoms engineering philosophy, but also philosophies behind organizational health and organizational alignment. So as I said, I joined just over four years ago. I'd come from Amazon and Amazon was an extremely values, principles and tenets based company. And I had seen how each team had, my own teams included, had like a really strong set of engineering tenets and engineering philosophies, and it enabled them to make really good decisions that were well aligned and easily understood and accepted by teams above them and teams around them. And so after coming into Intercom, it was very clear to me that we had this incredibly smart set of people that seemed to have really interesting, opinionated and different ideas. And so one of the things we did after about three months after I joined was we had this team offsite and we decided we would try and flesh out and consolidate on a small, non-exhaustive set of principles or tenets that maybe would unify the team and would, by doing so, would allow us all to share our kind of diverging perspectives and then, I guess, disagree and commit on this small, non-exhaustive set. And so some of the things we had been talking about was the operational overhead and cost of various different data stores we were running whether or not we needed to invest and hire dedicated database administrators for various different technologies. And Kieran, who was our CTO, he kind of came up with this just magical line in a, a, or this magical sentence in a lull in the conversation. He just said, I want to run less software, not more software. I, I don't want to hire more people for this stuff because they won't be building product. They'll be operating the database. And so my job on that day was primarily f- facilitating a conversation and writing everything down. And over the kind of like coming days afterwards, as we sieved through all of the notes, this kind of run less software sentence and the ensuing fierce debate, which came out of it, felt like this cornerstone of something that was really important for everybody to understand and get buy-in on. And it was one of the four things which actually made the cut as those final set of engineering principles for us. And so it was a really good one insofar as that it was actionable. A testament to the team was that everybody did disagree and commit. Everybody bought into it and everybody immediately figured out how to make it actionable. And we took some good tactical decisions afterwards where we slimmed down the number of database technologies that we use. We invested more heavily in particular types of training in order to build even more muscle in those core technologies. And we built some, what I think was some pretty interesting tooling to support those core technologies, tooling which was far in advance of the type of tooling I had seen to support those technologies in 
Amazon and Facebook. So I was like, wow, the system works. We actually made a pretty strategic decision. We invested in it. And very quickly over the subsequent three to six months, we kind of really saw that decision pay off for us. Right. So that was obviously, that offsite was probably three to four years ago now. Yeah. Fast forward, you know, a few years, engineering has grown exponentially. And, you know, how has the Runless software uh, philosophy uh, scaled over time? It scaled pretty well for the first year and then pretty terribly for the next two and a half years after that. And the reason why it scaled pretty well for the first year is because although our team and org grew, it was still pretty easy for all of us to get in a room every three to six months and re-debate all of these core values and all of these core principles and tenets and almost re-describe them and reaffirm them from first principles, keeping that organizational clarity. But some point after about a year, we just had too many people and we couldn't all get in the room and re-debate these things. And so previously, this one-sentence tenet and small supporting paragraph was enough to provide organizational clarity because everybody had talked it out. But then people started to try and use it and deploy it and make decisions based on it, having only the context of that one-liner and that small little paragraph. And also, I guess, Intercom's infrastructure grew, architectures evolved, our product surface got way bigger, we hired in a bunch of new people who had different engineering skills. And what we found is that the tenet or principle started to be used almost politically. It started to be used to justify one person's decision versus another. Well, I think we should do X because X aligns with run less software, said by somebody who, with the best intentions, didn't understand what run less software meant. And so I got to the stage where I'd heard enough of these things that I felt terribly responsible for it. I felt, wow, the thing that was created for good is now almost a thing for politics. And I felt really bad about it. And I felt, hey, we need to take some time to properly disambiguify this. And that's actually where the blog post and everything else came from. And so the approach that I took from there was I went back and I interviewed Kieran, our CTO. I interviewed Dara, our VP of engineering. I interviewed a bunch of our principal engineers. I interviewed a bunch of our lesser tenured engineers and got everybody's thoughts and feelings on what they think it did mean, what it should mean. I researched it on the internet and found Dan McKinley's blog post, which seemed to align with an awful lot of what we were thinking. And then we spent some time articulating out the philosophy in a little bit more detail. And we found there was some more nuanced things to it that maybe we hadn't realized back in the day when we were building smaller systems. So now for us, I would say the kind of more evolved version of what Run Less Software is, is start off by really understanding the problem you are trying to solve for your customers. Figure out which are the building blocks that can be provided by our existing standard technologies and which are the parts which can't. And for the parts that can't be solved easily today by our standard technologies, can we actually further break down those problems into smaller and smaller problems which start to look like ones which can be solved by our standard technologies? And that allows us to really figure out what are the risky bits, what are the difficult bits, what are the bits that we need to experiment with? And that then helps us orientate our tech plans towards for the things that we ship we're always shipping to kind of root out ambiguity or add customer value as early as possible. It also helped us think about when we start thinking about outsourcing undifferentiated heavy lifting, who do we outsource to? Do we really want to be bet so heavily on AWS or do we want to hedge our bets a little bit on a cloud agnostic strategy? How do we think about the companies we outsource to? How do we think about them? And we realized we think about them 
primarily from a security and privacy perspective. We think about them from a reliability and operational perspective. Intercom is pretty big right now. And not every startup is able to handle our throughput or reliability needs. And we also think about it just in terms of dollar cost as well and thinking about trading off how much money are we going to have to spend versus how much engineers could we hire ourselves. So we kind of developed this much more sophisticated, more actionable, more usable set of guidelines and principles that helps people make a decision beyond is this run less software or not based on your gut. There's like a bunch of different questions you can ask yourself. That has then spurred on a bunch of other great work by Kieran, our CTO, who was able to codify a bunch of this standard technologies into centralized documentation, which is now part of the onboarding and training of all of our engineers. It is a live document which can be updated. It has a bunch of guidelines. Kieran remains the owner and ultimate curator of the doc. So I think going from that, hey, this thing that worked really well when it was a very small group of people who had to stay in context and, and could do so by rehashing it out from first principles. Now through that less comfortable period where it was almost Machiavellian tool to where we are now, where it's a much more usable, actionable, examinable, editable and evolvable framework. I'm pretty happy with where it is now. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with Intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. A related question to, to, to what you've just been discussing is that, you know, the engineering team, I mean, you probably joined when it was probably 10 to maybe 20 engineers at Intercom and now there's almost over 100. So, you know, how do you continue to move fast and keep everyone aligned at the same time? It must be a challenge. Yeah, when I joined there was one of these existing principles already in place, which was called shipping is your company's heartbeat from Dara Curran, our VP of engineering. Inside of that same initial kind of like tenants and principles creation meeting, Kieran actually came up with another wonderful principle, which is held true, which is very, very similar to shipping is your company's heartbeat. And it was a phrase of like faster, safer, easier shipping. And if I can remember his phrasing correctly, what he said at the time is, to me, Intercom is a place where we ship ambitious changes as a series of small, safe steps, and we are never afraid to deploy. 
And so shipping changes is a series of small, safe steps really plays into the kind of evolve, run less software mentality where we figure out what's the problem we're trying to solve. How can we organize it in a way such that when we ship, we are removing ambiguity or creating learning and insight as early as possible in the process. So that's definitely how we move fast is we organize the work such that we remove ambiguity as early as possible and we create product and customer insight as early as possible, which gives us more and more confidence that all of the rest of the plan we have is the right one. So that's definitely one way we do it. Kieran's other part of that thing is we are never afraid to deploy. So we work, we have a team dedicated to continuous delivery and developer productivity. I think two weeks ago, we shipped over a thousand changes to production in one week. In general, we are doing 100 to 200 changes every day. Our average test time is four minutes or less, and our average end-to-end deploy time is about 10 minutes. So we have a team of people who do nothing other than working really hard, making lots of large and small changes, and managing and nurturing a culture that basically maintains that level of ease and speed of shipping as something that is just such a core part of our culture that we will absolutely interrupt product work and defend that ability rather than let it slide. And so I know you speak frequently with engineering leaders at at other tech companies and You've mentioned the run less software philosophy is different than how the teams maybe at Stripe or or Slack operate. And so what's their point of view on this and how is and why is it different to to, to intercoms? Yeah, uh, that is a really fun question. So you're right. One of the things I love to do is anytime I go to conferences or anytime I'm visiting San Francisco, I'll usually try and pick out people who seem like they're peers of mine or in a similar type of role at companies I really admire and definitely Stripe, Slack, Datadog and Fastly are some of the companies that I've been lucky enough to be able to have conversations with engineering leaders in. And I've so far I've found nobody has a strategy like Run Less Software. I've found instances of two different strategies at play across a bunch of those companies. The first one I think is like this cloud agnostic strategy. And the way I would describe that one is The leaders at some engineering companies, what they seem to be focused on most is minimizing their long-term hosting costs. And one of the ways that they feel like they can do that is by playing off AWS and Google against each other in a bidding war, basically, for your business. And the way that they can make that a true negotiating strategy is that they will only use cloud agnostic technologies. And so what that means is They will only use technologies provided by AWS or Google where the cost of switching appears to be low between the two. So running a container in AWS feels very like running a container in Google. The interfaces are very similar. The APIs are similar. And so the threat is, hey, if you don't give me a good cost on this, I will pick it up and move it over to another company. This means that those companies won't use streaming services like AWS Kinesis. Instead, they will have to run because the Google streaming service is different to the AWS streaming service, which means they will then run their own Kafka service and have to invest in staffing up a team to run Kafka. And so I think this is a super valid strategy, but 
one of the trade-offs is that you're going to have to hire more engineers and you are going to have to incur more human operational expense yourself. And so for me, I think one of the things that's less scarce is money. And I think one of the things that's more scarce is engineers. And so that's why, while I think that cloud agnostic strategy is a valid one, for us, we're optimizing for getting more customer value out of the limited engineering resources that we have. So it's not one that we choose. One of the other valid engineering strategies I've seen is where there's pretty much no constraints on the technologies you can use. And so some companies basically allow the engineers huge, huge, huge control over the technologies they choose to help build their own products. And the companies who I think do this best are the ones that are remote friendly and their hiring bar is incredibly high. They will hire some of the best technologists in the world in a given technology and basically give them free reign to then use that technology. And again, I think that's a really good, valid strategy if your organizational strategy is to facilitate remote working and if you hold your hiring bar super high. I think for Intercom, so much of the magic of our product development requires really, really close interaction between product, design, engineering, research, analytics, really, really tight face-to-face feedback loops and really, really high collaborative bandwidth in between people. That's just not something I think is completely appropriate for us right now. And also there's a bunch of security headaches that comes with that for me. I think our security team would kill us if we told them that we had to, if they had to support and battle test and pen test and give great guidance for people using pretty much any technology that they want to use. But it's so interesting for me because it all depends on the constraints that you fix. So if you fix a constraint of, or if you have beliefs around what are your most important constraints, like the ability to hire, onboard, and uh, appropriately make productive precious engineering resources, if you think that's a real constraint, and if you think high bandwidth communications is a constraint you have to have between all of your different disciplines, and if you're relatively well-funded and you're willing to play a little bit of a longer game, or even not, I think... I think we can get just as much value by betting heavily on AWS and letting them know we bet heavily on them and partnering with them in a bunch of ways. It's just interesting, depending on all these constraints, I think there's no right or wrong answer. And it's super interesting to just hear how different people think about it. So let's talk about hiring. Um, How does the philosophy impact how or who we hire as an engineer at Intercom? It definitely influences how we hire, but I think it's almost... Like that very first part of Run Less Software, which is around really understanding the problem you are trying to solve and being really pragmatic then about how you solve it. I think that bit of Run Less Software is not unique to Run Less Software at Intercom. I think it's part of our whole product philosophy of like really understanding the problems that customers are facing and being super pragmatic about making sure that we provide the smallest, simplest, fastest thing as early as possible in order to solve their problem. When you think like that, our interviews are very much set up around making sure that when people tell us about the work they've done in the past, that we make sure that they're not telling us about the technology implementation steps. We are checking to make sure that they really understood the problem that they were solving and that they made the most pragmatic decisions at the time relative to their own set of constraints that they had. They absolutely don't need to have worked in a company that had a run less software philosophy. But 
they should have understood the constraints in which they worked and made sure that they were always making the right pragmatic decisions inside of the framework they worked in. So really looking for these high-level problem solvers, people who have a lot of curiosity and inquisitiveness, self-awareness, situational awareness, and make good decisions. That's definitely one aspect of it. And then from a technology perspective, I guess if you think like that, it flows naturally that while you can have a favorite technology and be very highly skilled in it, we would look for people who are not dogmatic and to say that I work in Ruby on Rails. I love Ruby on Rails. It's happy. It is a happy coincidence that Intercom heavily uses Ruby on Rails. But should we ever decide to move away from it or ask them to work on a team which is more heavily invested in a different stack, that this wouldn't become a deal breaker thing for them. And so much of the runless software philosophy is about reducing you know, choice and avoiding complexity. And so do you find that runless software has broader applications outside engineering too? Um, it strikes me as something that would be valuable for a product team or you know, even for, for a marketing team really. Yeah, it's resonated a lot with our design team that what they've told me and what I see is that we will look to use common patterns and intuitable, learnable patterns for how to solve particular problems. And we are very deliberate and nuanced about when we decide to resolve something from first principles versus when we see that there is an easy and obvious way of doing something. So I do think it is and run less software is an engineering phrasing for some broader product-wide, company-wide kind of like thoughts and feelings. So just don't reinvent the wheel is kind of what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. So since the uh, blog post has gone live, you've gotten a lot of feedback, particularly from the Hacker News uh, community, which is always interesting. Uh, so talk me through what that's been like and how it's further shaped your your thinking on this it's certainly further shaped my thinking on social media uh, in general. My role at Intercom is obviously as a senior engineering director, but so much of what I think about is organizational health. And when I think about organizational health, I think about assuming good intent. And I think about how hard it is to assume good intent. I think of a thing called the fundamental attribution error, which is where you say one thing and people naturally will think the worst of you. Their fight or flight response kicks in. And I think I saw a little bit of that, a little bit of that at times in some of the responses on Hacker News. I think part of the way we phrased the blog post is here's what we believe. And I think there is a risk that it can come across as dogma rather than strong opinions weakly held. And obviously there's no right or wrong answer. As I've said, there's a bunch of different engineering philosophies that are equally valid. And yet just reminded me that when you're talking in a large community environment, the more people there are, the more likely somebody's response is to give you their opposing opinion rather than to ask for further clarification or give you the benefit of the doubt. So if I was doing it all over again, I'd probably put some sort of a disclaimer at the top <laughs> that says, hey, there's absolutely no right or wrong answers here. We're not telling you what you should do. We're not telling you you should do what we do. We're not even saying a thousand percent that what we're doing is the right thing for us. We're telling you to the best of our experience and the best of our reflection, here is what we've been doing and why, and here is why we think it's working for us, not why the world should go do it. Great. So yeah, don't do what we do. I think that's a good way to end it. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Okay. Thanks for joining us, Rich. Thanks, Manin. Thanks very much, Jeffrey. 
You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.